Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and joining us this week is John Lennon, who recently won the largest tournament of the season so far, the Iron Halo. Uh, as joining me, as always, on the podcast is the one and only Nick Nanavati, who's going to help us break down John's White Scars list, where we're going to talk about all the cool choices. Uh, this is our first discussion. <clears throat> so every week we do two podcasts with our guests. Uh, episode one, we talk about the strategy of his list. So what's in the list? Why is what? Why is each item in the list? You can think of it as a macro discussion about uh, about John's list that he used at the Iron Halo. And then in episode two for our patrons, we'll deep dive into tactical play with the list. Like how do you actually play the nuts and bolts uh, and that kind of thing. Okay, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce John, and then let's start talking about these scars. Yeah, so John is one of my good friends. He lives with me here in the Art of War stream house. For those of you who haven't seen me, check us out on Twitch. But um, he's also one of our coaches on Art of War, and he's quite accomplished as a 40K player himself. He's no slouch on the table, getting uh, best in Space Marines for ITC this past previous year, along with, uh, what was it, third in ITC overall, John? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so uh, along with a bunch of smaller GT wins here and there, I think this is another one... Uh, Good one for John. He brought it home with the White Scars, and it was the largest tournament of the 2020 season so far and in ninth edition. So very excited to see John bring that home. John, why don't you tell us a bit about your White Scars list today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my White Scars list was uh, actually just a simple battalion, um, but I did max out as many slots as possible. So I ended up taking uh, three HQ choices, uh, Mr. Corsero Khan, uh, the White Scar named character, as well as a jump pack chaplain and a captain with the Teeth of Terra. Uh, that captain was my warlord. I went ahead and gave him the Sword of the Imperium and the Chivorian Storm. So he ended up making nine plus D3 attacks with the Teeth of Terra every time he charged. Uh, down to the troops, I took two units of scouts. Uh, no real upgrades, just gave them as much uh, close combat as possible. So uh, chain sword and uh, combat knives. And then an intercessor unit with auto bolt rifles and just a chain sword on the sergeant. Uh, rounding out the elites, I took uh, two units of blade guard. Uh, the new Indominus units are just so fantastic for white scars. So two units of three blade guard uh, were very, very good for me, as well as a Judiciar. Uh, then for fast attack slots, I had uh, just two units of Outriders. Again, the very efficient uh, units from the Indominus box uh, were just super good for me. And a unit of uh, six plasma inceptors. Uh, then for the heavy sports, I just had two units of uh, five devastators. Each squad had four graph cans and an armorium chart. And then uh, finally, just for my dedicated transports, I had two lane speeder storms to transport the scouts. I had one rhino that could transport those devastators. And then one impulsor with shield dome and uh, frag storm launchers. And that could take uh, the blade guard, the JCR con, and potentially the intercessors as well. Really cool dynamic list there you got, John. A little bit of everything. And... Um... It almost looks on the table like there's not that much on in your list. There's two units of blade guard, two units of outriders, two grav units and a rhino, and impulsor, some scout storms. That's kind of it. Like when I look at that army, like I don't really see what the substance is. Do you ever feel like you don't have much stuff on the table? 
<laughs> I'm going to be honest. Uh, the first time I was taking it to a tournament, I think the first two or three games I ended up deploying my army, kind of looking at my zone, looking at my opponents, and feeling like I was about to get tabled. Um, they're very compact. Uh, White Scars aren't a high model count army, um, and especially with all the transports that I have, uh, when I actually deploy the army, I usually just see like two Outrider squads, four vehicles, and then like a couple characters uh, kind of clustered around the transports. And then if I deployed the Inceptors, they'd be there. If not, they're in Deep Strike. Uh, it doesn't look like much at all, and it does actually look like a bit of a random assortment, but trust me, there is a method to the madness for everything in that list, and uh, it actually works together super well. So even though it kind of looks like a random pile, uh, I'm actually very happy with how it came together. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, I guess to that end, why don't you kind of break it down for us how you use it? What is the method of the madness? Like walk us through like what your standard strategy is. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the best things with White Scars is going to be uh, obviously their doctrine, where uh, on turn three, if you go straight to Assault Doctrine, they're going to get plus one damage uh, on any turn which they charge. So potentially if I go straight to Assault Doctrine, and I so far I have it every game, I end up at damage three um, per turn. Or, I'm sorry, I end up at plus one damage on turn three, four, and five. And I really just try to get the army to that point. So what that means is I use my very, very small footprint to kind of preserve resources early on. Um, I very rarely will just be full aggressive and try to just throw myself down the opponent's throat. What's more often going to happen is I'm going to try to use line of sight blocking terrain and hiding spots, um, you know, woods, however I can get some defensive buffs to kind of hide for about a turn or two while I position myself up the field. And then on turn two or three, I'm going to explode out and start tagging things in close combat. Again, another one of the strengths of White Scars is their ability to fall back and still act. Everything in the army can fall back and charge. And uh, if I spend a command point, one unit can fall back and shoot. So I can get into combat very quickly, and then I'm falling back, acting, recharging, or my opponent's normally not as effective. Uh, the armies that are better in combat than me, I normally have better shooting than. The armies that are better shooting than me, I'm normally better in combat. And I... I I hit both dimensions very well, so I can normally find an arm. Almost every army I face, I'm better at one of the two things, and I can kind of use my my fast units to screen, to tag them, tie them up, uh, take control of primary objectives, and uh, kind of keep the game close until turn three. Once I hit turn three, um, if my shooting hasn't done the job already, my combat almost always can finish it off. There's a lot of uh, devastating damage output from even just a humble unit like three Blade Guard veterans. Um, I've had them put 30 damage on my Gargantuan Squigoth in one activation before. Like They can just put so much damage out with all of the buffs that White Scars have. I love that you referenced a Gargantuan Squigoth there at the end. That's, I think, my favorite thing you just said. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you got to keep those in mind. You know, that Squigoth meta is coming. Oh, not the Squigoth meta. Not ready for okay. that. Okay. Well, I think it might be worthwhile because <clears throat> you mentioned that you have, you know, a, a decent shooting ability, but. I really only see the uh, grav devs. Do you want to talk to people about how you use those? Uh, because I think it's fairly unique, and not everyone might be aware of how you can CP dump to make them really disgusting. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I do want to just mention the plasma scepters really quick. Um, they've uh, they're they're really incredible. Uh, one of the best things that happened to White Scars, and I think one of the biggest reasons that they're uh, what I consider the best army of ninth edition when they weren't so in eighth was an FAQ that changed their chapter tactic so that any time a White Scar unit advances, it no longer takes a penalty with uh, an assault weapon. So uh, they, they used to have a mechanic to kind of give bikes um, some ignore heavy assault um, penalties, and they instead removed that and just gave all White Scar ignore assault. Um, so what that means is that 
I can actually go very, very fast and still fire very accurately. Um, the plasma inceptors, for example, they can just advance and fire their guns like normal. With the devastators is where it becomes even more interesting. White scars have a stratagem uh, where they can actually just fire, uh, they can advance and they can fire any rapid fire or heavy weapons as if they were assault. And what that means is that one, your weapons count as assault for all purposes, including doctrines. Uh, two, you won't take a penalty for advancing fire assault. So if a devastator with a grab cannon moves six inches, it will take a heavy penalty. But if it moves and it advances, and then I spend a command point, it's firing an assault weapon now. It now gains a bonus in tactical doctrine. So if I do this on turn two, it'll get the extra AP. And because it's advancing, it doesn't take a penalty. So I move farther and hit more accurately and get better AP on turn two for one command point. Um, so that alone means I can go three inches plus a move plus an advance roll from the Rhino, just a little bit farther than I would have from a normal uh, transport. And, um, you know, as a normal chapter. And then White Scars have a really cool strategy called Lightning Debarkation. This allows me to, after I move a White Scar transport, pay a command point, and I can disembark any White Scar units inside of it. This is super, super useful when you combine, you know, with the previously mentioned abilities. So I could theoretically move a Rhino and advance it, spend a command point, disembark the squad, move the squad, advance it, spend a command point to shoot the unit. And I've now spent two command points so far, and now the Devastators have moved 12 plus D6 plus 3 plus 6 plus D6. Um, that can actually go very, very far, and then they still have the 24-inch range of the weapon itself. Um, now that I, I spend a third command point on grab amps, potentially, let, if let I'm me, shooting let that me grab just weapon. shortcut that for our newer players. That's the table. That's the table. For those of you, for those of you wondering, he shoots whatever he wants on the entire yep. table. And now, just, just uh, to break it down. So. Just, just to really grind this point in, um, White Scars also have a strategy that allow me to move a unit twice in the movement phase. Now, if I do so, that unit cannot shoot or charge, but if I do it on the Rhino, the Rhino advances, doubles the total move characteristic after the advance roll, then the, the scouts come, or the, the Devastators get out, move, advance, shoot. The theoretical range of moving a Rhino twice, disembarking, moving and advancing with plus one from Plume of the Plains Runner, a relic I often take, and then shooting 24 inches is 76 inches. That is the threat range of a Rhino in the back corner. You can talk about drop pods and reserving, but in the end, people can screen that out. People can forward deploy scouts, infiltrators, rangers, nerfmans, whatever they want to do to block you off. Blocking 76 inches of threat off a of rhino is very difficult to do. Uh, honestly, the way I like to deploy the army, I'm, I, again, I don't have a lot of units. I am relatively fragile. Obviously, space marines are all tough, but white scars are no tougher than any other space marine. They don't have any real defensive bonuses. Um, at that point, I need to keep my opponent honest. I need to give them a reason like, hey, don't come mess around and just try to swamp me on turn one. The Grav Rhino is if you put uh, an important unit out and alone, if you have something that's really going to threaten me, I can press the big red button, drop a lot of command points, and I can kill it. Like if I need to, I frankly, I can move this, this Devastator squad, you know, like 50, up to 52 inches to get line of sight. Like someone could have a Scorpius in the back corner. And I literally just turn one, move a Devastator squad up to 52 inches, and boom, I have line of sight because I went through your army, around, and behind your ruin in your back corner, and now I'm shooting graph cannons at you. And you have two units of Devastators or one? Two. There are two in there. Yeah, so that's 10 devs. That's 10 grab devs. That's quite a devastating alpha, really. 
Yeah, and I don't necessarily always perform that. Um, I think it's uh, risky to use all those command points at once, and I don't like to throw away resources early. But the fact that I can do it keeps my opponent honest. Um, anytime my opponent like puts something very valuable out, I I've had games where you know my opponent just deploys on the line and they put units out, and they're like, "Yeah, but you can't kill all this." And unfortunately, I'm like, "All right, well now I have to try." And boom, here comes the grab devs, the inceptors, and I can kill a lot on turn one if I need to. Uh, once I kind of tell my opponent what they can do, most people opt for the more conservative deployment where they don't want to lose their, their most valuable toys in turn one. Makes a lot of sense. So you're kind of using the Grav Rhino as a scare tactic to force your opponent really far back so that they don't just die to you on turn one, like you said. Do you find that a lot of players do take that really conservative approach and then your Rhino doesn't do much because it... it was there to scare your opponent, scare your opponent, that's it? Or do your opponents not respect it and you just blast them off the table anyway? How do you kind of deal with that? Uh, frankly, what I find happens most is that um, it just it just happens later in the game. Um, it, it's not possible to both ignore the Rhino and leave it there for five turns. Like, it's going to come out at some point. Even armies that are relatively immune to it, like you can talk about uh, demons and orcs and harlequins, where, yes, grab is not going to be nearly as valuable, um, although this list is admittedly tailored for a marine meta. Um, even then, just coming out swinging with that, you, it's still 20 shots, strength 5, high AP, uh, relatively accurate. You know, I'm still space marines. Like, when it comes down to it, if I just put get two grab squads out and I dump 40 strength 5 shots into something, I can still kill, you know, a star weaver or a couple jet bikes or a couple buggies, whatever I need to. Uh, they can still get yeah. enough damage done. Um, a lot of Harlequin troops. <laughs> I can do that too, actually. I can do yeah. that too. Um, yeah, what I find happens most often is that the Rhino is used as a late game piece to remove resources where turn one, I'll jockey it a little bit, position it. And then I normally launch the first dev squad on turn two, take advantage of the fact that I'm in Pactal Doctrine. I'm going to get that EP4 when they count as assault. Um, and I just use that to set up the turn three push because I, quite frankly, I want turn three to be everything I have is charging. Um, however, I'm going to get there. And that means that I want to chip a little bit and just have one less target. So normally the grab rhino will move up in, on turn two and uh, pop smoke while shooting, uh, like by disembarking a squad and leave one squad inside so that it's like, all right, here, this grab squad has removed one of your key pieces. I can do it again. There's still a squad inside. You've seen it work. You've seen the damage it does. Now you want to deal with it. I also pop smoke. It's going to take longer to deal with than you want. At the same time, I've pushed an impulsor and blade guard and outriders and characters further forward and maybe the inceptors came out at the same time and suddenly turn one neither of us really did much like i maybe snapped a couple shots but frankly i probably tried to hide turn two i tried to do a lot of damage put a lot of threats forward and at that same time the outriders of the storms have probably started tagging things so it's like all right turn one all right he didn't shoot much i didn't shoot much and then oh no turn two you know the rhino flew forward and killed the tank and then a lane speeder storm charged another tank, and then the outriders killed my screen units and consolidated into into this unit. And now you don't have as many resources. You've got one turn to clear the lines in front of you, because when turn three hits and the white squares are charging, that can be backbreaking for many armies. So would it be fair to say that the grav rhino is a piece that you can use surgically to remove a big threat, right? But more importantly, it often buys you a turn to set up. Because otherwise, like if you didn't have the grab rhino, you might have to play in such a way to charge on turn two, but allows you to charge on turn three and take care of that or take advantage of the assault doctrine. Does the, or not assault doctrine? Yeah, 
Yeah. Not assault. Uh, yeah, assault doctrine, right? Not tactical. Assault doctrine. Uh, tactical doctrine uses assault weapons, which is why that confused me for a second. So, uh, but yeah, uh, and then get that uh, that bonus damage and everything else. So basically, the grab rhino is buying you that extra turn so that you can be a little cagier and wait for a turn. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, that, that's exactly it. So um, again, this was an evolution of kind of white scar um, logic and doctrine from end of eighth edition where it was difficult to play because you got the most impact out of your units on turn three, but waiting until turn three to start affecting the board state often meant that you had a, a large points deficit and a, a good opponent could make that insurmountable. So I needed to be able to apply the pressure on turns one and two if necessary. Now, some games I can ignore them turn one, they can ignore me and we just wait until turn three. And well, that's great. That's when I wanted to play the game. But uh, many times I do have to you know, go get, go get some work done go clear things off objectives, take out threats early on. And I don't want to commit my melee units because they're just so much more valuable later. Like, sure, I can charge three blade guard on turn two and I'll probably kill something. But man, three blade guard on turn three with flat three damage each and at AP four, like that that just feels like opportunity lost if I'm throwing them away to make trades that um I could use other resources for. And especially a good opponent may keep them out of range. You know, even advancing and charging, they're fast. Turn two charges don't always happen depending on the play style of the opponent. Yeah, so I really like how you're mitigating the White Scar's issue of having to wait till turn three with these like smaller skirmishing MSU units and you that can all kind of do something as needed upon in the earlier turns. Do you find that against armies that like can just rush you? Um, you still struggle though? Like maybe your turn one, you drive in the middle of the table like you were explaining. And your opponent played conservatively, and then on their bottom of turn one, they countercharge you into your ruin or get some weird angles on you and shoot you from the sides. How do you kind of handle that approach from your opponent's perspective? Um, so one of the big things is the number of transports I have. Um, it's actually very difficult to charge against white scars. One, I have a judiciar. Like let's just make that clear. Like the judiciar is a great you stay on your side of the table, okay? Um, kind of piece. But um you know, when it comes down to it, white scars are still good in combat early on. Most people don't want to engage that and let it happen early. However, those that do, like Blood Angels, Slanesh Demons, the biggest thing is that they're not going to be able to charge any of my damage-dealing units early on. Because if they, if you try to run up on a transport and then kill it and then charge what's inside, I can use stratagems like Emergency Debarkation to deploy six inches away and make it very hard to actually get the charge off. Um, I can make that very risky. Um, also, if they don't have the shooting to kill it first, you know, a lot of Blood Angels armies right now are not packing many guns, they're just punching, they can only declare the transport. And yes, going in, you know, sending a big death company squad and killing an Impulsor is great, but in the end, killing the Impulsor and then standing in front of the six blade guard that are very upset about you killing the Impulsor, that's probably not a good trade my opponent's going to want to make. Um, as well, I have a lot of short-range firepower. Um, I actually almost always deploy the Inceptors. And again, I tell people the threat range of, hey, they, if they move 10, they advance D6, plus one if I'm near the, the chaplain who has the plume of the planes runner. It's a total threat range of, um, what, 17 plus 18, so 35 inches. And it's not hard to be 35 inches away from the Inceptors because I normally deploy them a little conservatively. Most people don't want to court the extra firepower. And when they do, it's, all right, I'm going to dump all of these shots into you, and then I'm going to charge you, and then I'm going to you know, with all of the buffs up and the entire army just dogpiles you. Um, it, more often than not, most people kind of quickly like look at the list and realize that's not what they want to take. Very few armies have things that they can efficiently send to kill transports and then are comfortable losing. 
And um, more often than not, that's a shooting unit, not a melee unit. So I'm able to use just line of sight blocking terrain to kind of preserve my resources a little bit longer. Now, obviously, if I'm on a planet bowling ball and I go second against Imperial Guard or Atomic, that probably won't be fun for me. But um, so far, I found that term in ninth edition uh, at multiple events in multiple states has just been fantastic, and it, that isn't uh, that isn't a viable weakness. Okay, yeah, I like that answer a lot. Basically, just kind of you have your defensive tools, you skirmish really well, and it's just hard to engage your army altogether. That's a pretty good defense. Yeah. So, um, oh, god. Oh yeah, really. It just it just comes down to I don't make it ever worth it because of what can be charged. Because again, you know. A, a lane speeder storm costs 55 points a rhino costs 70 points the impulsor all right it's 130 points but like still the things that go and kill an impulsor reliably and safely aren't things that are worth just throwing away to kill an impulsor if you want to get something else out of it or guarantee their safety and that just you don't guarantee safety if you park yourself in a, inside of a white scar that, that you guarantee death yeah no that makes perfect sense to me so okay well there, there is one thing i want to ask about um I think I know the answer to this, but it appears to me that you that you uh, you are kind of playing a patient game. What do you do if your opponent goes balls out and just puts himself on you know five objectives and basically says, "Come play the game right now, uh, or else I'm going to get so far ahead on primary that you're not going to like it." Um, that's actually very simple. Um, I I go I send the skirmishing units out. Um, what I call the skirmishing units is the concept I talk about with Nick a lot, and he already was mentioning it. Um, the Outriders and the Land Speeder Storms. Um, the Land Speeder Storms can also use Lightning Debarkation, and what that means is that I can move out that uh, that Land Speeder Storm, and they move 18 inches. So we can go 18 plus D6 inches advances. One CP, the scouts get out. The scouts can then disembark three, move six, and advance. They cannot charge, but they can. They could theoretically shoot, perform an action, move. So what happens is, like, let's say there's, like, there's a bunch of objectives. Like, like there's six. My opponent um, just jumps on like four or five of them. I I always look at this as, um, I like to hand my opponent zero primary turns if possible. But if it's like a very aggressive board control army like Blood Angels, it's I need to keep this close. And so what I do is I look at how do I keep them to five or ten. So if they're on four objectives and it's one of those where they only need to hold one to hold, get five points, two for ten. I may honestly say, like, all right, I probably it's probably not worth me expending the resources to keep them from getting 10 points. I'm just going to make sure they don't get 15. So if I just tag two of them in my deployment zone, and then I send a scout squad out to a third one, I can find one that's obsec, that they don't have obsec on, and I can get on it and just deny them the points. And what, what I normally do is um, I'll do this to deploy the scouts, and then the scouts will deploy Scrambler, because uh, deploy Scrambler is a secondary I very frequently take. Um, but I just go find an objective, hop on it, deploy a scrambler, get some early actions, that, the hard ones, out of the way on turn one. Because, you know, an 18 plus D6 plus 3-inch disembark plus 6-inch move, that means that I, I'm going, what, 27 plus D6 inches. That can be from my deployment zone into the opponent's deployment zone very easily. So I could turn one deploy into a scrambler in my opponent's deployment zone, and I can get my own zone on turn two or three easily with, like, the intercessor squad. That's not a problem at all. Um, and then, like, the storm can charge something and tie it up. And I just kind of keep their primary to five or ten, and make sure that I'm getting the same points. If they're trying to play the aggressive board control, I try to get at least five, maybe ten points as well, and I keep it close. And it, I don't, I obviously I like to be up on primary as quickly as possible. But if I'm down five or ten points going into turn three, 
I'm not panicking about it because I know that turn three is when the, the rest of my army is going. And that's a point where, okay, now I'm actually determining close combats. Now I'm getting it done. Now I'm going to start swinging the primary backs. I'm going to be putting Blade Guard and Inceptors and characters on objectives. And now they're not going to take them away from me. That's how I see it. Yeah, okay. So basically, your army is just biding its time. And if, someone, if the other person tries to force the issue and make you play with them before you're ready, you just do it in the most minimal way possible so that you can have as much as you need on turn three, basically, right? Excellent. Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, tiered responses, basically, where the easiest response is I hide and they don't get line of sight. And they just jump on objectives. I just send out scouts and storms and like and the speeders to uh, just go nip objectives, you know, kind of trim away their points and make sure they're not getting up too much. Or if I really need to, I can send the inceptors out. Uh, the chaplain can give them plus one to hit. Uh, currently, they overheat on ones. Um, so if I'm plus one to hit, I can't roll any ones. So, you know, it's a 12d3 plasma shots that hit on twos and reroll ones. It's very accurate firepower. There's no risk to me unless they have their own negatives built in. And even then, if they're minus one to hit, all right, I, I hit on threes, you're rolling ones. I'm still not likely to overheat. Maybe I lose one model out of uh, six. Two is very unlikely. Um, three is literally hasn't happened to me. Um, again, very easy to just jump forward, inflict a lot of crippling damage, start tagging things, maybe wrapping things, make them spend more command points on desperate breakout, etc. cetera. Uh, and I can just respond as hard as necessary, but I have so, much, so many options because of the speed of the army. I, I can be where I need to almost every game. Like I, I really never feel like, man, I just feel like I'm out of position. I wish I had started moving a turn earlier. That has never happened to me with White Scars. Yeah, so one thing I've found when I play White Scars is that it's very easy to spend your command points on silly stuff and find yourself on way too low on CP by turn three, turn four, turn five. So how, you have a lot of options to spend your CP. You can advance and fire, uh, turning your weapons into assault weapons. You can double move stuff all the time, double move, then disembark, then return things with the grab unit and spend five CP in one turn. Uh, then, of course, there's combat, fight on death, fight twice, all kinds of stuff. How do you manage your command points as a White Scars player? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what it really comes down to is um, practice and restraint. Now, this is something that I've learned from other armies. You know, I, I've played Gene Stericult and Iron Hands and Tyranids, and I, I've played a lot of uh, armies that really value their command points and, and want to get the most out of them. So um, I really, kind of the, the philosophy that I, I've learned to adopt with White Scars, uh, especially you know, after some early practice games, where I um, didn't do as well as I wanted, is um, every anytime I try, I look at making a play, it's would this play be easier or safer later? Like, is there a reason to do it now? Because, um, you know, you gain a command point of turn, you, you kind of, you, you power up more and more. Um, I started eight after all my pregame stuff, and I, I very rarely spend any on reserves. Um, so at that point, it's, okay, I can actually just, um, can I just buy my time, build up more command points, and make safer plays later where I don't need to. So yes, I absolutely can move the Rhino and disembark and then advance and then shoot and then a grab amp. And that's three command points. And sometimes that's what you need to do to, to kill something. You need to spend three command points to kill a Scorpius tank. And that's, that's very strong. But what I look at is what if I just advance the Rhino up and hide behind a wall? Can I just shoot him next turn or shoot my opponent next turn and it's fine? Like, yes, I would love to go kill a tank commander turn one. If I could just put my army out of line of sight, what if I just move the rhino and don't get out? And then next turn, I just walk out normally, and I, I spend two to advance and shoot, and then grab amp. So I spend two instead of three, 
I wait one turn, but what if my opponent wasn't even shooting me with, you know, with, with that tank commander anyway? That, that's why I normally launch the Rhino in turn two instead of one. Like, I can shoot turn one anytime I want to. But if I just position a little bit and then just get out and advance and shoot, especially after my opponent has started to move up the table as well, well, I, I saved a command point and it's a turn later, so I have an extra command point. Um, so I just have a lot more to play with. Um, due to the new combat rules, I find that I'm very rarely fighting twice. Extremely rarely, actually. I, I, I can count on one hand the number of times I've fought twice in the past uh, three months with White Scars. Um, it's just very rarely necessary. Um, and because White Scars are so efficient, um, with Cursor Arcana, the Chaplain, and um, I can be potentially rerolling hits and rerolling wounds and plus one to wound, um, it, it's a, White Scars very rarely whiff. Now, I, I may, you know, I may bite off more than I can chew, but they almost always do the damage they're going to do. Um, you know, they, they, they only have, they, they don't get attack buffs, but they're very efficient with their attacks. So I have a very good baseline of what damage I'm probably going to do, and it very rarely gets lower or higher than that. Did you, uh, I'm curious, did you find a lot of your opponents <clears throat> underestimated the amount of damage that they were going to do on turn three? Because it doesn't look like a lot of damage is going to come in, but I can just imagine that you just coup de gras a lot of armies on turn three because you line up a bunch of charges, fire a bunch of plasma, fire off some grav, you know, like just a lot of damage comes in all at once. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if my opponents, you know, would always, I didn't always talk about that exact topic, but it, it did feel like they weren't expecting my turn three to do what it did. Um, like I, I had some games that were very, very close for a turn or two. And then I had one turn where it kind of, it broke. Um, like I, I had a turn where I killed, um, like my, I think my turn three of round four against Blood Angels is probably the best example of turn three saves my bacon. Um, on my turn three, I believe I killed um, six Eradicators, three Blade Guard, five Sanguinary Guard, um, a Astarath, a Sanguinary Ancient, and I'm pretty sure that was also the turn that I cleared out. Um, oh no, I got I got one more Blade Guard. I got four Blade Guard that turn. Um, and that, like, in the context of, oh, and I killed five Vanguard veterans, that was it. Um, and I killed five Death Company. It, it was a lot. Um, I like how every... it was like, oh, and, 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 Yeah, and. because, li well, Jeez. that was the thing, was, like, literally everything was charging. Um, that, to be clear, like, I had, I had Devastators charging Vanguard veterans that turn, and Assault Intercessors, and I had my normal Intercessors, and I had every single character declare a charge. I had, you know, all of my Blade Guard declaring charges. I had, my, I had Outriders declaring charges. I had Plasma Inceptors declaring charges. Like, everything was declaring charges, because screw it. it. It's turn three. I'm an Assault Unit now. I mean, five Scouts on the charge are 17 attacks by AP1 damage 2, hitting on three is strength four. But, like, if I'm near the, the, the character blob with Khan and, you know, you know, Khan and the Chaplain, I'm plus one to wound, and I reroll all wound rolls. And I rerolling once to hit like 17, 17 attacks from scouts. You know you're actually going to get like about nine or ten AP one wounds, a little bit, maybe even a little more, like 10 or, 11, 10 or 11 AP one wounds on a space marine unit. Where like that's it, like ten or you know ten wounds AP one. They fail five saves. You know as they got four up to that point. That's five wounds to damage two. Like that just flat out like five scouts in the charge will almost will kill about four or four and a half five um just regular intercessors so knowing that knowing how much damage you do with even like five scouts or whatever and you're, it's really hard like i as a opponent would never visualize five scouts doing that much damage i mean just the other day 
you were talking about how five scouts average like four Thunder, Hammer, Storm, Shield, Terminators. And I was like, there's absolutely no way. And then we broke down the math and it did. But um, <laughs> does that, are you okay losing a lot of your army in the first couple turns just to like keep up and screen and get yourself to turn three? And then knowing that on turn three and onward, you, whatever little you have left, can just get it done from there? Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm comfortable with that, but also I acknowledge um, variance. So yes, I can do that kind of damage, but when it comes down to it, the strategy of force a lot of saves only works if your opponent rolls average. Like how often have it have, have someone been like, all right, take 12 three up saves. Like, great, I made 11 of them, right? Like sometimes that just happens. So I don't like to rely on that as a game plan, um, but I am comfortable knowing that I can get a lot of damage output out of the little units. What it really comes down to is I just, um, I'm willing to expend resources to keep the game close, not to make sure I'm winning. I trust my army that to get to a point where if I'm in the game on turn three, it's only getting better. Like the, the only way where I feel like I'm at a disadvantage is if I'm, I'm way behind on turn three and I can't catch up in time. That's the only fear I have. So I'm going to expend resources to make sure that my opponent's not too far ahead. So like, let, let's say like if my opponent gets 15 points, 15 points, and I'm getting five, five, well, I'm down 20 on primary after, after two turns. That's where I don't want to be because that's hard to make up. But if I can just sacrifice one Outrider squad here, one Scout Storm, you know, package there, and now I'm down 20 to 10 instead of 30 to 10, that feels very recoverable. That's, all right, then the next turn I need to keep my opponent to five or zero primary, which is very, very easy to do, and then I get a 15. And then suddenly I'm already ahead after one turn. Basically, I try to keep it so that one complete switch of primary would put me ahead. I never want to be more than one turn behind one primary. But beyond that point, I'd rather conserve the resources to have more for late game, just because my stuff is more valuable on turn three. The way I kind of look at it is everything increases in points on turn three in actual values. Like scouts are worth 55 points on turn one and two. Like they're, they're or not 55, 70. Uh, this is ninth edition. Um, like they're worth 70 points, and that's great. They're a good 70 point unit. All space marines have it. But like on turn three and beyond, my scouts hit like a hundred point unit. And if I wait long enough, the more reserves I have, or the more units I have left, I kind of see it as I now have more resources than my opponent because my reward for rate waiting is going up in value. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. I kind of like that because your units literally would be cost differently if you were writing your list for your turn three army. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, if scouts literally all had AP one and were flat damage two, they would probably cost like almost 20 points a model. That's a really good combat stat. Um, that's how I view it. So you touched on a subject there that you and I hinted her towards a lot, but I want to kind of flesh it out here. Your idea of trading Scout Storm here or Outriders there, as you put it, for keeping the scoreboard close. What does that look like practically for like people who might try to replicate this in the future? Or um, how do you, and also how do you evaluate those decisions when it's worth it to make a trade like that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, beginning of every turn, um, so, you know, again, I'm going to look at, you know, uh, any turn where my opponent's about to score primary. So if I go first, I don't, I don't think about this turn one, but, um, right before my opponent's about to score primary in my turn, I look at, okay, how many objectives are they on? How many can get, I, I get on and what kind of tricks do I have to take back? So I just make sure that I'm aware of like a six inch heroic intervention, like any way that they can flip the primary beyond what I expect. So I just make sure I'm aware of all that. And then I look at how, what would I have to do? To knock each objective so if they're on four objectives i will evaluate all four objectives and i'll tell myself what do i have to do to get there 
what do I have to do to take away from them? And then I kind of say, all right, is it worth it? Can I do all this at once? How many of this can I realistically do? So like I can, again, I can get someone off almost any objective if I really actually put the effort in. Um, I have had, this. I've done this once where it was crazy, but it needed to happen, where I moved a land speeder storm twice and then lightning debarkationed. And all that meant was that like the, the land speeder storm went about 40 inches and got the scouts out to take an objective in the far back corner that my opponent had left like a, a very small unit on like that. Uh, but like they, they didn't leave obstacle back there because I was 40 inches away and boom, I was there on turn two, um, just contesting the objective. Um, but I'm going to look at all right, what resources do I have to spend to do this? And, you know, I'll say, all right, so I could spend like these three command points to get this objective. And then I can move the outriders onto this one. And then I can move a second land speeder storm out of that one. And if I do that, my opponent gets zero primary. And then I'm going to look at, okay, what if I don't do the back one and I save three command points and I keep that scout storm and then I keep my opponent to five primary. Then, okay, now I can just do the same play on turn two and maybe spend one command point to take away a different objective and that still cuts them five on primary. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to contest the two that are in easy range. I'm going to let them have five points and then I'll just have another resource to contest later and I'll keep the score down on another turn instead of going all in to get them one zero. Okay, well, that kind of leads me to a question, but first let's take a quick break for a note from our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. All right, John, it sounds to me like there's been a lot of thought put into your list in just managing the tempo of the game where you have a lot of ways to sort of play at the tempo you want to play at. In a lot of ways, you're sort of dictating the tempo to your opponent. Um, is that like a design philosophy that you're kind of going with, or is that something you've thought about? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what? I, I, you're right. Uh, tempo is honestly the best thing with White Scars. Is um, like there's a set point in the game where I become the most, where I become more powerful, and I need to make sure that we're going fast enough that I get to that point and with the game intact, but not so fast that my army is exposed before I get to that point. Like I need to 
I need to kind of be at a slow jog getting to that point. But if I sprint, uh, I overshoot. And if I walk, then I don't get there in time. Um, it, and honestly, uh, white scars are one of the more intense movement-based army, armies in the game. They're very good at it. So sometimes it kind of looks or feels easy. But, you know, like Jinx to Cult or Harlequins, they reward you the most for being most precise with your movement. Um, the, the tempo is really just, you know, kind of tearing through the doctrines. Um, I actually, you know, even before it was mandated, you know, it, White Scars would always go through the doctrines as quickly as possible anyway. Um, but, you know, it, it's like turn one, I'm a Devastator. All right, I've got heavy weapons, but I don't really want to use them. Turn two, we get to Tactile Doctrine. All right, I'm starting to build up. I'm starting to use my Assault Weapons. The Inceptors are coming out. They're AP4. And then the, the Devastators come out. They're Tactical Doctrine because I'm going to make them Assault Weapons for one command point. Now they're AP4. And it very naturally lends itself to the stages I want to be doing. Like it, it honestly, it follows the fluff and like kind of, you know, the trail map that GW wrote us. Uh, all right, use your Devastator units turn one, then use your short range shooting units turn two, and then turn three, start punching people. And it very naturally follows that uh, that flow chart. Kind of instead of working against the fluff, you know, of what GW wants me to do, uh, I work right along with it, and uh, it, it gets me very good results. So Power Gamer John Lennon just claims he's a fluff bunny. Did that just happen on our podcast, Nick? He does this all the time, and I, I just call him out at every turn. It's, it's unreal. <laughs> Amazing. You're welcome. That was worth the price of admission. <laughs> I'd say so. So uh, the last thing I want to ask about um, is really kind of like how you uh, pick secondaries for this army. Now, I imagine I know you mentioned you're really good at deploy scramblers. Could you walk us through that and just whatever other ones you take? Yeah, absolutely. So the big thing is, um, you know, to deploy scramblers, you need to do it three times. Once in the midfield, once in your opponent's deployment zone, and once um, in your own. Um, I, de I take deploy scramblers. Um, I don't want to say every game, but if I've played 25 games with White Scars, I would say I took Deploy Scramblers 24 times. And for the record, um, I have not failed to get it yet. Um, I have not had a game with White Scars where I did not deploy my Scramblers. Um, and what I do is I launch out the, use Land Speeder Storm to go boom, move, lightning, divertation, get a squad out, and go get my opponents, normally on turn one or two. Because um, that normally falls in line with me playing the contest and deny points mission, where I want to put an object unit on an objective that doesn't have one. And then I, you know, at the same time, I'll, I'll deploy the scrambler instead of taking just the five bolt pistol shots I've got, because I, I don't really care about five bolt pistol shots that much. Um, so I can get those points and then turn, ideally, I do that turn one or two. And then um, whichever of those turns I don't do it, the uh, auto bolt rifle inter inter intercessors are going to deploy Scrambler to my, my home base. Then all I needed to do is get the middle one. It's actually very easy to do. Um, because I have, again, the Lightning Divarcation tricks from the Rhino, what often happens is I have a one random Devastator survive and jump back in the Rhino. I have a couple Intercessors or what the last Blade Guard uh, jump into you know the Impulsor and go get out because, again, you move the Impulsor, then you disembark, and then boom, you deploy a Scrambler in the midfield. Um, Getting the middle one and mine have very easy. It's just timing out when I'm going to go get the opponents. That's been the only challenging part. Um, but White Scars, they have so many movement tricks. Um, that double move stratum that I mentioned, um, it doesn't mean that I have to advance. So I can still do it and perform an action. Um, actually, um, at Aaron Halo, uh, I spent two command points on my turn four to double move three Inceptors all the way into my opponent's deployment zone and just deploy a Scrambler so that I didn't have to think about it and I just guaranteed my 10 points. And that was enough. Um, 
What I also almost always take is engage in all fronts. Uh, that that's again that's a very easy one for white scrubs because again it naturally fits into the game plan of I'm going to send out a couple skirmishing units every turn, even the early turns, to go contest things. And then by turn three on, I normally have like just left the intercessors behind, and then an empty transport will run into a into a corner. And then my the bulk of my army is in my opponent's side of the board, and I get those two courts very easily as well. Um, Engage in all fronts has been a fantastic one for white scars. Uh, um, you know, I I very rarely get 15 on it, but getting at least 10, you know, usually I'm in that 12 to 13 range ha has also been very reliable. Uh, normally, like 11, 12, 13 is where I land there. Um, the final one that I look at is um, it, it's always going to depend on the opponent. Um, I often take grind them down. Uh, this army naturally is fine going second. I, I'm very good at reacting to the opponent. I'm very, very good at reacting to what they do and kind of seeing what they do and making my moves based on that. And I don't mind hiding at all. Um, so grind them down. If I go second, uh, many people want to go first against white scars because they're so fast. I could go out and do things. Again, I always tell them like, hey man, I could go 76 inches in turn and shoot this rhino. Like I could go that far. And it's like, oh, I, I want to go first so I can put more screens out and, and get to use my unit before it gets evaporated. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but it, it normally means that I get bottom of turn. I went second five out of six games at Iron Halo. Um, and then I get to see what I need to kill and grind them down. I look at it getting nine to 12. I, I rarely get 15, but nine to 12 often works. Um, plus, if my opponent just gives up a secondary, then uh, it's pretty easy. You know, if they just have 12 vehicles, I'll just take bring it down. If they are Grey Knights, I'll just take a poor the witch. But normally it's engage in all fronts, deploy scramblers, and then I'll either pick grind them down or assassinate as my, or kind of my go-to. I need to get some points off of your list if they don't give up something obvious. So question, uh, sounds to me like you don't score a lot of max point games. Like it sounds to me almost like the way your list plays, you're good at denying your opponent's ability to score a lot of points. And so you win a lot of games, so the list is very consistent, and you score a very consistent amount of points that you can count on, so you kind of know where you need to be. But you don't necessarily score those 99-point victories. So in a victory point tournament um, where you're trying to score as many points possible, would you would you still take this list? Um, if, if it wasn't win-loss-draw, um, I think I still would, just because um, I can get a lot of points. Um, I very consistently get 80-something points. Um, I'll admit I, I rarely get those hundreds. Um, actually, I haven't gotten, I don't, I think 94 is the highest score I've got with White Scars. Um, no, no, I got a 96 one time. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it, it's very consistently high 80s, low 90s. Um, and the big, the big way that White Scars want to win, because um, every army I play tries to win on the mission, frankly, uh, how White Scars want to win the mission is they want to get, they want to beat the opponent on primary and get enough secondaries that they can't be caught up on. So again, I don't look at getting 45 secondaries. I'm like, all right, if I beat my opponent by 10 points on primary, and then I get at least 35 secondary points, my opponent physically cannot catch me. That's it. Um, you know, even if they get a max 45, you know, secondary, which yeah, all right, may, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, generally, my list doesn't give up any secondaries, uh, so it, it that's not an easy thing to say. But you know, sometimes they're able to do it. Um, but it, that, that's really just the game plan is. Deny primary, get good secondaries, max my own primary. If that happens, uh, and I follow that kind of you know that game plan, uh, it's very very difficult to lose. So it sounds like you're kind of approaching the game pretty independently of what your opponent's trying to do himself or anything like that. You're just sticking to your plan, which is score primary, score secondary, deny primary. Which fair enough, more power to you. Does that 
do you have to have like an intimate knowledge of like all the different factions to try strategy like this or is this something you recommend doing for most factions um i actually recommend it for most um it's a combination of having general good you know knowledge of the game is important but i, I think that it's more a commentary on where the meta is right now which is there isn't a dominant list like white scars are very good but you know white scars don't win every tournament salamanders are very good we are plenty of tournaments where salamanders don't even top eight um what it comes down to is where the game is right now is i could play against anything i really could like i could play against harlequin boats or slanesh demons or 15 imperial guard vehicles or adamek chicken walkers or an all terminator space Marine army any of those things that i i just named i consider to be an actual legitimate competitive army and they're so different you know it's a complete you know there's just total diversity in what's competitive right now so I don't think that you can build for an opponent or build for, you know, any kind of like single, you know, single list element. Uh, so I, I, I build for the mission and I trust that when I get on the table, uh, whatever my opponent has, I've got decent guns. I've got blast weapons. I've got weight of fire. I've got high AP. I've got multi-damage. I've got stuff that's good against, you know, three up saves. And I've got stuff that's good against orc hordes. Like when it comes down to it, I've got a little bit of everything in my firepower and my damage output. I'm going to trust that I, the player, will get it in the right position rather than hoping that it's the right answer to what my opponent's bringing list-wise. Actually, those Plasma Inceptors are sneaky good against Hordes because they're Blast. They are. <laughs> so what, six of them is, what, 36 shots? Yep. And um, again, if I'm plus one to hit, I can just overcharge. At that point, it's 36 shots. I hit on twos, I reel ones. I get 35 hits. The strength eight multi-damage. Um, so I, I'm often wounding on twos, but I'm just like... That averages about twenty nine work boys. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, and we leave that one. Works. We'll leave one for morale. Um, like that—that's the math on that. So I'll take it, you know. And then there's this random bolters and blast weapons. You know, even the land speeder storms have blast weapons. Um, I put blast weapons on the impulsor because yeah, the storm bolters are nice. But I have, you know, I have six points floating around. Um, and uh, the fractured launchers can advance and shoot. But like, if my opponent is bringing hordes where the grab is useless. All right, well, now I just get 12 shots. Nice. So it sounds to me like the strength of your list is in that it has a very flexible way to play its game plan and has a lot of tools and a lot of speed. Like, there's a, there's a lot of speed in the list, and it's compact, so it's easy to hide. Exactly. I, yeah, I think it's a really awesome list. I'm really excited to talk about it in the matches portion of the podcast, especially when we talk about Space Marine Mirror matches, I know John's favorite subject, when they also get to make use of Assault Doctrine, like Blood Angels or Space Wolves. Um, so John, were there any other questions you want to ask John? <laughs> um, I, I just want to maybe touch really quick on your HQs. Cause I think we didn't really cover it for newer players, but some of those guys are pretty beefy. Like, what do you take for your litanies on your chaplain? Um, what do you do with your, uh, warlord? We sort of briefly covered it. He's basically a monster. Um, but you want to just break that down really quick. And I guess also follow-up question, which I should have asked. Uh, was there any other stuff you considered along the way with the evolutionist list that maybe didn't make the cut or something you still yet to try along yeah, with that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one at a time, uh, the HQs, uh, my chaplain takes uh, the Litany of Focus, which is plus one to hit, and um, Candle of Hate, which is the plus two to charge with the, the big pile and consolidates. Uh, the White Scar trait nat uh, chant naturally is uh, six-inch or rural wounds in close combat. So I really like really like that chaplain um so he, he's a very good support piece normally two the first two turns he sticks around the inceptors and um he gives them plus one to hit and that means if i come out 
I'm even with I advance, I still hit on twos rearling ones with the captain nearby, do a lot of damage, don't worry about the overheat. And then from that point on, turn three on, especially uses the jump pack and the fact that he can advance and charge and is uh, plus one to advance and charge from his own relic. Um, he gets right up there and starts giving like plus two to charge and reroll wound or reroll hit, reroll wound. Um, those big pile and consolidates let me kill things and then um, get into more combats uh, because I, I never don't want to be in combat. Like I, I can fall back and do anything I want to with the army, which is just wonderful. I'm, I'm never shut down. I'm never trapped. Um, that's where I want to be with White Scars. Um, so he gets right up there with the core of the army, makes the blade guard reroll the wound, just super efficient in combat. He's a wise orator, so his chants are relatively reliable. Um, I, I normally, I, I almost always pass them, you know, eight out of nine times. And uh, even when I don't, I still hit pretty hard. Um, the man, the Teeth of Terror Captain, um, who is in fact my Smash Captain, um, he's frankly, he might be my favorite model in the list. He's just so good. Um, Khan's probably the favorite, but man. Um, so with the Sword of the Imperium Warlord trait, if I'm in Assault Doctrine, again, he ends up at nine plus D3, strength six, AP three, damage flat three attacks on the charge. Um, he just murders and blends everything that he hits. It, it's it's honestly terrifying to watch sometimes. And me breaking down exactly like what he does to the opponent, he's sometimes like, hold on, how do you have this many dice? Like, I thought this was a smash captain. Like, oh, this is a smash captain. It's still damage three. You know, strength six near con plus one to wound is just as good as strength eight. Um, and then rerolling to wounds means he's going to kill almost any vehicle he touches. He can mold through like elite squads, like, um, like a, a unit of six aggressors. Um, if he can get in there through the Overwatch, you know, I'll normally charge with like a, a lane speeder storm to soak that up first. Uh, he should kill six aggressors on the charge, like without even blinking. Like just it, it should just it should be basically automatic. Um, he, he's just he's an extreme damage dealer, and again, he's a very small model. He's very fast. He can advance and charge, so he can move up with the army, and he, he won't go as fast as he can because I don't need to. He'll just kind of keep pace with the impulsor and and the bikes or whatever. And then on turn three, it's like okay, I'm gonna roll in advance. And oh wow, I rolled a six. He's moving 19 inches, and then I'll spend a command point to 3d6 take the highest charge him, and he's going to go nuke something. Um, he, he's 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 a really good support piece to hang around with the interceptors and be defense for a while. Like, don't come near me, or I'll come kill you. But then when I need to launch him like a missile, he he is, he goes far. Yeah, that that guy is probably definitely my favorite uh, character of yours. He's he's oh, got yeah. me off guard quite a few times. <laughs> yes. Um, and but then, also, uh, to the second part of the question that I tacked on there, what other units were you kind of considering on the way to the evolution of this list? Yeah, so I've been on this version of the list for a little over two months. Um, the things I was considering early on was um, Librarians and um, an Incursor Squad. What it came down to was I really liked my command points and I didn't want two detachments. I used to have four HQs in 8th uh, edition and the Librarian was the fourth one. In the end, I decided that Librarian was the least valuable and that meant that the Incursors got cut down to an Intercessor Squad. Um, the other big thing that I had been waffling on, and actually this was never in the list, it was just always the first thing I was considering, was Contemptor Dreadnoughts. Uh, the main reason that I didn't take them in the end was that I wanted to keep my Bring It Down total below uh, 10 points. So by having two Storms, a Rhino, and an Impulsor, my Bring It Down total was 9. If my opponent chose it, 9 was the most they could get. I actually had two opponents choose Bring It Down against me because they kind of threw their hands in the air and said nine points is the best I can get. Um, if I take a Contemptor Dreadnought, it does go up to, you know, potentially 12 or 15 if I add one or two, um, unless I cut out, a trans uh, cut out some transports, but right now I really like them. Uh, the Contemptor Dreadnought's very good. Um, you know, if, if you go double close combo weapon and uh, plasma blasters built in, 
Um, it has assault weapons with advantage shoot no penalty. It's very fast. It's very good in close combat. Uh, it's a really nice support piece for its cars. Um, and it has very good stats. But in the end, I decided um, giving up uh, an easy secondary went against my game plan. And for that reason, they never quite made the cut. Yeah, I think that uh, that makes perfect sense. I actually kind of like uh, the the contenders as a option for you, but you don't want to give up a game down, and I totally get that. Your whole point is not giving up secondaries in the first place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, other John, um, one more time. Is there any other questions you want to ask for this one? No, I'm just super excited about talking about this list and matchups because I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, I know you love your white scars. I do love my white scars. Like I, I, I may have to bring them back out. Awesome. Well, Mr. Lennon, is there any place people can find you and your stuffs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can, of course, find me with the Art of War, but I'm assuming you found us already. Um, I am one of the coaches on Art of War. Uh, you can find me in the War Room. I'm very regularly doing War Room games, teaching clinics, and talking to my wonderful coaching clients. As well, I do have my own podcast called Florida Man 40K. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, you know, uh, Spotify, iTunes, all of the places that you would find, maybe not Spotify, all the places that you find podcasts, you can find Florida Man 40K. All right. Well, that's it for this strategic discussion about John's White Scars list. Patrons, we'll see you over at episode two to discuss the uh, nitty-gritty, dirty details of optimal play with this list. For those of you that aren't patrons, I don't know what you're waiting for. We have the best discussions about learning how to play high-level 40K, and they're all in episode twos. So, all right, we'll see you over there. Uh, Otherwise, we'll see you all next week. Peace and love. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.